It was on this Friday, you guys, 2,000 years ago, that Jesus, who is fully God, fully man, the God-man, our mediator, offered himself as a substitute for the punishment our sin deserved. He took all of the sin that you and I have ever committed upon himself. He took all of the sin that has ever been committed against you upon himself. He became that sin. In fact, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The divine exchange, Martin Luther called it, where He took our sin and gave us His righteousness. He became sin. You Think about that. That's why it's dark. That's why it was a somber night. He became sin. That sin would no longer define who we are. He became sin so that we don't have to identify with sin any longer. As Anthony was saying, his whole life was identified with sin. And you guys, prior to Jesus Christ, if you don't know him tonight or when you didn't know him, you were a slave to sin. There was no freedom in that. There was no freedom at all. You were a slave to your sin. And the cross breaks that power. It breaks the power of sin in your life and my life. Not only does it free us from the bondage of our own personal sin, you guys listen. Not only does it free you from your own personal sin, but something I want you to understand, something I think that is missing from many gospel presentations, is that the cross liberates you from the prison of hurt and pain caused by those who have sinned against you. See, oftentimes we think about the sin that we have done, and that's the gospel message that is preached, the sin that you've committed. And that if you'll confess your sin, if you'll admit that you're a sinner, you'll be cleansed. But it leaves us wondering, what about all the sin that's been committed against me? It leaves me wondering, what about all the hurt? What about all the pain? What about all the abuse that's been done against me? And Christians, the, the church is filled with people who don't understand that the cross is also about the pain and the hurt that you've experienced. And so that you don't have to live in that prison anymore, you can give up that bitterness, that pain, that anguish. It liberates you from that. The cross is not only your key to finding forgiveness, you guys. It is your only means of truly forgiving so that you can move past your hurts and experience true joy and lasting peace. So many Christians don't have joy, don't have peace because they have not yet come to grips with the fact that the cross not only breaks their own sin, but the sin that's been done against them. 
If you've been a Christian for any length of time, you may have fallen into a a very common trap. The trap of becoming jaded by the cross. Becoming jaded by the image of the cross. The cross around your neck. The cross on the wall. The cross in so many songs. The cross in so many messages. That the cross no longer captures your heart or holds your attention. Maybe you've wrongly believed that the meat of the word involves moving past the cross. Or you've been wrongly taught, possibly, that the cross is that dirty little secret of Christianity that we ignore like our mother's brother who's a pedophile. We, we know he's in the family, but we don't really want to talk about him. We don't really want to bring it up. It's that dirty little part of the family that nobody really wants to associate with. And tragically, the cross has sort of become that. Something that we're almost ashamed of. Something that we don't want to talk about. Something that we want to hide. Yes, it it happened. Yes, it's part of our heritage, but we're not going to talk about it unless somebody else brings it up. We've got more important things to talk about, perhaps. Successful marriages, balanced finances, personal happiness, or some other pet topic. Anything to keep our focus, our attention, away from that bloody cross. But herein lies the problem, you guys. When we divorce ourselves from the cross, we completely cut off the source of power by which we are enabled to do any of those things that we may want to accomplish in our life, like having a successful marriage or having our finances in order or having any sort of happiness in this life at all. Without a firm grip upon the cross, you guys, our Christian life is completely impotent and we are incapable of relating to God. And so having established the importance of the cross, I want to look at three truths the cross illuminates for us tonight. First of all, our sin makes God angry. The cross illuminates the fact that our sin makes God angry. Isaiah 53 verse 10 says that it pleased the Lord to bruise him, to crush him. Yes, he has put him to grief. It pleased God to crush Jesus. Do you guys understand that your sin, that my sin, makes God angry? Something that we need to understand, something that we need to have as part of our theology, is that our sin, your sin, killed God. You need to identify with that. Jesus, on the cross... 
was murdered. Not by the Romans, not by the Jewish religious leaders, but by you, by me. Our sin murdered Jesus. And we need to identify with that. We need to understand that our sin killed God. And every time you sin, every time you continue to sin and act as if it's not a big deal, you need to recognize that your sin angers God. We are very quick in the 21st century to say that God is a loving God. Rightly so. In times past, several hundred years ago, they were very quick to say that God is an angry God. You remember Jonathan Edwards in his famous sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And both of these things are absolutely true. Depending on where you tend to, to focus, you need to hear one of the other message. We all sort of tend to focus on one or the other. The love of God, and, and that's what we talk about, and it's all about His love, or the, the anger and the wrath and the holy, righteous judgment of God. And that's where we tend to focus, and we give people the impression that God is upset all the time. My guess is that most of us live in the 21st century. And we've heard very often that God is a God of love. He's a God of grace. He's a God of mercy. And we've not dwelt very long on the fact that God is against sin. That it angers Him. God is angry every day towards sin. Psalm chapter 2 tells us that. You can read it on your own. God has a holy and righteous anger towards sin. And the cross, you guys, is an outflow of the anger of God. Not just the love of God. You need to recognize that when you think about the cross, when we think about the cross tonight, that it not only represents the love of God, but clearly it demonstrates the anger of God. The anger that he feels against sin is what brought Jesus to the point of suffering and death. If there was another way to deal with it, he would have. In fact, Jesus, in the Garden of Gethsemane, said, if, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. But there was no other way. And sometimes people will say, well, why couldn't God just simply forgive us? Isn't the whole cross thing, the, the whole judgment of God, the, the, the blood of Christ, isn't that sort of divine child abuse? That God would pour out His wrath upon His Son? And some don't resonate with that. It doesn't make sense to them. But you guys... If it wasn't for the cross, if God just said, I forgive you, then He wouldn't be a God worth worshiping because there would be so much injustice. 
Just like if someone was to create some damage to your property. They're backing out of your driveway. They back into the fence. They knock it over. The gate collapses. There's really only a few options at that point. Either the person says, I will pay for it. I created the damage. I'll pay for it. Or you say, don't worry about it, and you pay for it. But there's no way by which the damage, by which the harm that has been done is erased. There's a debt that has been created. You can't just pretend that it didn't happen. Either you incur the debt or they do. Now, there might be a combination where they pay half and you pay half, but somebody's paying for it. There's a debt that's been created. And see, you guys, our sin created a debt. And God couldn't simply say, it doesn't exist. And you ought to be happy for that. Because what it proves is that God is a just God. And He's a holy God. That doesn't just say, you know what, I don't care that you were molested. I don't really care that you were cheated on. I don't really care that you were lied to. I don't care that you were abused. No, God does care. It angers Him. But He poured out that anger on His Son. There was a debt that was created. It can't just disappear any more then any other debt can just disappear. Oh, we can pretend like it doesn't exist, but every time you walk by that fence that was destroyed, you're reminded that there was a debt, and the same thing is true by our sin. The cross is an expression of two things, certainly His love, and most of us have that down pat, but also His wrath, His anger. His righteous anger that burns against sin. So let's not short circuit the gospel tonight, you guys. Let's understand that our God is a holy God and He's an angry God. He poured out His anger and His wrath upon His Son. A second thing that the cross illuminates for us is that our suffering brings us into fellowship with Jesus. In Philippians chapter 3, you don't need to turn there, but in Philippians chapter 3, Paul says something very profound. He's speaking of the fact that he wants to know Jesus more than he wants to know anything else. That for his entire life he had related to God through the law and he no longer wants that. He wants Jesus. And he says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. If by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. It is often our tendency to crave the power of His resurrection. I mean, it's, it's something that we want so desperately is the power of God, the power to overcome sin, the power to have a, a, a happy life, the, the power to have a good marriage, the power to raise good kids. We want that power. 
And there's nothing wrong with that. We ought to want that power. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 tells us that when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, we receive that power to be His witnesses. There's nothing wrong with craving and desiring the power of His resurrection. But you guys, it comes by virtue of the fellowship of His sufferings. Our suffering brings us into fellowship with Jesus. The cross teaches that. Because on the cross, Jesus suffered. He didn't get to circumvent His suffering. He didn't get to say, this isn't God's will for me. God wouldn't want me to suffer. No, it was God's will. In fact, it pleased the Father. Jesus said, if this isn't your will, let it pass from me. But it was His will. Our suffering brings us into fellowship with Jesus. It is a complete and utter distortion of the gospel. To say that since Jesus suffered for me, therefore I don't have to suffer. I can be comfortable and prosperous. You guys, the essence of the cross is lost if we begin to think that He gave up everything so that I can have everything I ever wanted. He was rejected by men so that I will be admired among men. He lived in poverty that I might live in luxury. He was homeless so that I could have that dream house that I've always wanted to have. That's a complete and utter distortion of the gospel. Jesus taught us just the opposite. Jesus said, if any man would come after me, let him take up his cross daily and follow me. If we suffer with him, we shall be glorified with him. Christ suffered for us. Leaving us an example to follow in his steps. And so we will suffer, you guys. We're going to have difficulty. We're going to have trials. We're going to have hardships. It's what the cross teaches us. Very clearly and plainly. Our suffering brings us into fellowship with Jesus. A third thing that I want us to be aware of, a third truth that flows forth from the cross, that's illuminated from the cross, is that our salvation is complete and secure. In John chapter 19, verse 10, as Jesus was hanging on the cross... He said, it is finished. The three most important words uttered in human history. When God says something is finished, He means it. He doesn't count His chickens before they're hatched. It wasn't like He thought better later. Oh, I probably shouldn't have said that like George Bush did when he said the Iraq war was over like five years ago. And he was wrong. Well, Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus doesn't say something's finished when it isn't. In Hebrews chapter 1, 
where the author of that book is proving that Jesus is better than the Old Testament sacrificial system. He declares, after making purification for his sins or for our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. If you know anything about the holy place in the Jewish temple, where the priests offered sacrifice for sins, you know there was no place to sit down. There was the table of showbread. There was the the menorah. There was the altar of incense. But there was no place to sit down. It was a way to subtly declare that the work of salvation was not complete. It was imperfect. That it was ongoing. That they would have to continually be doing that. There was nowhere for the priest to rest. But when Jesus offered himself as the Lamb of God for our sins, he went, he ascended to the Father, and he sat down. It was once for all. Powerfully demonstrating that the work of salvation is finished. On the Day of Atonement, while the temple was was still standing, Yom Kippur, the priests would select two young goats to demonstrate the very point that I'm trying to make. One of the goats would be selected as the sin offering. They would take that goat and they would slice its throat, spilling its blood. And they would take that blood and they would sprinkle it on the mercy seat. And it was an offering for sin. The priest would then take the live goat, the other goat. He would place both of his hands upon the head of that goat and he would send it off into the wilderness as a scapegoat. And when he placed his hands upon the head of that goat, it was transferring his guilt and the guilt of the people he represented upon that goat. And then it was to go out to never return again, the scapegoat, to picture the fact that our sin that their sin had been taken care of, that it had been cleansed, that it had been washed away, symbolically reminding them that God had forgiven them and that he remembered their sin no more. And both of those goats symbolize and picture something very important for us about salvation, about the atonement. The slaughtered goat is a picture of what is theologically called propitiation. And we've spoken about that tonight. Propitiation means to appease. It means the wrath of God was appeased. Just like that slaughtered goat, the blood of which showed that God's holy wrath was assuaged, was appeased, was taken care of. Propitiation happened on the cross as Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? At that moment, the holy wrath of God being poured out upon him, it was propitiated. But the scapegoat, you guys, is a picture of what is theologically called expiation. And expiation is to cleanse. It's to take away. And as the scapegoat ran out into the wilderness, never to return again. It was a picture of the fact that their sins had been cleansed. 
had been washed away, and Jesus did that for you on the cross. He not only propitiated your sins, He expiated your sins. He cleansed you from all unrighteousness. He's clothed you in His righteousness. He's called you holy. And you guys, because our salvation is complete, because Jesus said it is finished, because He not only has propitiated the wrath of God, but He's expiated our sins, He's cleansed us from all unrighteousness as far as the east is from the west, never to be remembered again. Because it's finished, we can rest assured that it's secure. It's not by works of righteousness that we have done. We never earned it. Therefore, it was never about us. And so as we sin as Christians, we don't continually go in and out of salvation. We are just continually cleansed by the perpetual work of the cross. And the Bible says if you confess your sins... He's faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. You guys, I hope tonight that you walk away from here thinking about the cross and thinking about what Jesus accomplished at the cross. That it was a very dark and a very somber time. I hope you think... and that you are reminded and that you contemplate tonight that your sins killed God. That you come to grips with that. Sunday we get to celebrate the fact that God didn't stay dead. That Jesus didn't stay in that grave. That He was resurrected. And he sits at the right hand of the throne of God, constantly making intercession for you and for me. The cross. The bloody, rugged cross. May we never, ever forget it, grow tired of it, become jaded by it. May it always capture our heart. Let's stand together and let's just pour out our hearts to the Lord, continue to worship Him tonight.